Thanks for listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate communities shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. We'd love for you to join us on Sundays at 9.30 or 11 right here in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We're calling this year the Year of the Bible as we read and study through the Bible cover to cover. On August 25th, we'll kick off the New Testament along with home-based small groups who will study the weekly reading together. If you'd like more information about any of this, visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. So today marks week 48 of being in Year of the Bible. Um, I have loved this journey so much. Um, who in here is like still like like dragging themselves through all of the reading? And who in here like read the first chapter of Leviticus and was like, I'm out, I'm done? I felt that way. I wanted to quit for sure. But this has been an incredible journey. I've loved looking at the entire narrative of God and just seeing God's fingerprints all over the Bible has been uh, really enriching for me, and I think it's been enriching for this community. Um, so this morning, we are going to jump into a letter called Philemon, like John said, uh, and this is a really, this is a fairly unique letter for two reasons. First, this letter, unlike other epistles in the New Testament, is not addressed primarily to an entire church. This is actually a really deeply personal letter addressed to one man. And the second reason it's unique is that it's going to give us a front row seat to some deeply personal conflict. So we're going to be like hearing the musicians spit and their sweat flying on us. Like that's how close we are to center stage in this conflict. Um, And I think it's important to look at this letter because we experience conflict a ton in the church today. So if you're doing community deeply, then you're probably experiencing conflict. So maybe you've got some like little rifts in your apprentice groups or with the friendships you've made in the past two years that we've been at church. Um, Or maybe you've got conflict and tension with your family, with your loved ones, or someone who has wronged you. Um, Conflict happens, and it comes with the territory of community. And so we're going to look at this, and we're going to find out some ways to deal with conflict in the way of Jesus. So buckle up, because we're going to do something a little bit different this morning. We are going to read all 24 verses of Philemon together, um, so that after this, you can go home and tell your friends that you're still doing Year of the Bible. So you're welcome. Um, So will you guys turn, open your Bibles to page 1703. We are going to read this whole letter together. Um, Look how short it is. It's delightful. Um, So will you guys read this along with me? Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, also to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I've heard about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. 
I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man now and also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he's become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. But I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one more thing, prepare a guest room for me because I hope to be restored to you in an answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings, and so do Mark, Aristarchus, Damas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. You did it. You read an entire book of the Bible today. You're welcome. Okay. I love this letter. This is so rich. So Paul is an old man now. And he has spent decades spreading the gospel, helping plant and build churches, and connecting with people all over the known world. And one of those people that he connected with is a man named Philemon. And he and Philemon spend time together, and Philemon eventually becomes a believer. And he helps Paul build the church, and he partners with him in spreading the gospel. And eventually, Philemon even opens up his own house so that a church can meet there. So Philemon loves Jesus, and he's an influential leader in his region. But on top of that, we also know that Philemon is a wealthy man. And as was common of wealthy men in ancient Roman culture, Philemon owned a slave or a bond servant. So in ancient Roman culture, wealthy people owned slaves. But it's not going to be the same as the ethnic slavery that we see in our nation's history. 
So Romans actually were super happy to enslave like anyone who breathed oxygen. So we're not going to be talking about ethnic slavery chiefly, but this is actually an issue of class. So that is going to give us really good insight into one of the complexities of the early church. So Philemon's slave is named Onesimus. But by the time this letter is being written, Onesimus is no longer with Philemon. In fact, he's run away. He is 1,000 miles away from his master in the city of Rome with none other than the apostle Paul. And we don't know why Onesimus ran away, but along with running away, the text reveals that Onesimus also took a generous sum of Philemon's money with him. So, whether on purpose or by accident, Onesimus ends up with the Apostle Paul. And as per usual, you can't hang out with Paul without falling in love with Jesus, so Onesimus becomes a believer. And he helps Paul to spread the gospel, and he works with him, um, and he runs errands because Paul's in prison and can't go anywhere. So Onesimus gets to serve Paul freely, and he loves it, and he wants to stay there. But as good as that might seem, this is actually something that we're going to call a conflict triangle. So Onesimus has this issue with Philemon, so he runs away, um, and then he drags Paul into it. So we've got this pretty little triangle where there's two people who should be involved and one who shouldn't. It's like if Sally had an issue with Steve, and instead of talking about it with each other, they talked to John. So we've got a triangle that's going to end up being pretty uncomfortable. So Paul's going to respond to this sort of triangulation in a way that's rather unexpected. See, he loves Onesimus. He loves him as if he were his own son. And he also loves Philemon as one of his partners in sharing the gospel. And instead of seeing their relationship torn to shreds by fear and anger and bitterness, Paul is going to do something to help them to restore their relationship through walking in the way of Jesus. And so we see in verse 12, Paul says, I am sending Onesimus, who is my very heart, back to you. Which is pretty interesting. Why are you doing this, Paul? So I want to be clear. This is, without a doubt, a really uncomfortable complicated, painful, and probably scary situation. And I want us to understand why that's true, so we're going to look at it from just Rome's perspective right now. So we've got Onesimus, who ran away. Well, in ancient Rome, it is illegal to run away from slavery. It's a high crime, and it's punishable by death. So fugitive slaves were captured and killed, or they were returned to their masters just to be tortured and branded. So Onesimus, while he may have escaped, he didn't have hope. He's actually cornered himself into this lose-lose situation where fear is going to characterize all of his steps. And it's similar for Paul, because Rome, as a way to deter people from helping fugitives, made it a high crime to harbor a runaway slave. So Paul, already in prison, is facing death by associating and helping this fugitive. So Onesimus has dragged him into something 
a little bit hopeless. And they both face death. Philemon has issues too, but it's a little different. So Philemon, according to Rome, has done everything right. In fact, he has been wronged. He has been sinned against. Onesimus took money from him. He ran away. Like Philemon is out on honor and he's out money. And so Philemon has this decision to make. Within his Roman rights, Philemon can track down Onesimus and have him killed or torture him. But what about this newfound responsibility as a believer? Does the way of Jesus play a part here? So should Philemon side with Rome, have someone murdered, or does he lean into the way of Jesus as he understood it and let him off the hook? Which wouldn't have been fun for Philemon. So he's stuck between the wisdom of Rome and his witness to Jesus. And he has to choose where he's going to take his marching orders from. And I have to imagine that this is not an easy choice for him. So like the other two men, Philemon is stuck in a hard place with pain and fear. So we've been looking at this situation just from Rome's perspective. And from Rome's perspective, this isn't fun for anyone. It's a lose-lose-lose and more-lose situation for everyone. But as Paul began his letter, as we saw, he's not going to give Rome the time of day. Instead, he begins his letter focused on Jesus. And he says, Although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. So he's not going to appeal to Philemon's Roman rights. It doesn't matter to Paul. There's something else present that matters way more, and it's the love of Jesus, which offers a completely different route. And so he says some of my favorite sentences in the entire Bible. He says, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. And if he's done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I love that. I want it to soak in because it's, it's a really cool demonstration. So he does two things when he says these sentences to Philemon. When Paul says, welcome him as you would welcome me, he's using his relational capital with Philemon to protect Onesimus. So Paul has authority. He's well known among believers. He started most of the churches, and he's certainly been impactful to Philemon. So they've built up trust and value among one another, and Paul's going to use that, and he's going to lend his capital to Onesimus. And in doing so, he protects Onesimus from Roman retribution. And then he takes it a step further. He says, if he has done you any wrong, which he did, or he owes you anything, which he does, charge it to me. So Paul is going to take upon himself the burden of Onesimus' wrongdoing. And it's this divine trait where Onesimus, the one who sinned, the one who did wrong, is the one who gets to walk free. Because he's got Paul's identity like riding on his shoulders, and Paul is taking care of his bill. So what does this remind you of? It's Jesus. 
Yeah, it's Jesus. It's grace. Paul is demonstrating in real time with a real situation that was like trash can fire zone. And he's saying, this is about grace. And where Rome says, get even at all costs, get revenge, get what's yours. Jesus says, live a life of habitual, undeserved, radical grace. Because Paul chose to lean into the way of Jesus instead of the way of Rome, Onesimus got to return home without the fear of being murdered because someone stronger than him is vouching for him. He's safe in Paul's authority and in Paul's grace and in Paul's willingness to bear his burdens. Same with Philemon. Philemon is struggling between this cosmic um, struggle between revenge and reconciliation. And he's invited to unlearn the wisdom of Rome and become a giver of undeserved grace. And we do this too. We get to decide between revenge, which is like this juicy apple. Like it seems like, yes, I want them to get what's coming to them. But instead, we're invited to extend grace. And when Onesimus received grace from Philemon, Philemon's soul was restored as well. So this close look at Philemon causes me to think critically about how I treat revenge and reconciliation in my own life. How do I navigate through conflict with other believers or non-believers? It's tough. Um, and especially as the holidays approach, a time when we're all going to be crammed in one room with our families, and some of us might find that that feels a lot like high stakes and low hope. I want to be a person who is shaped by the gospel and who strives for the reconciliation of relationships, even when it's tough, even when I'd rather pursue getting even. So that's why I love this letter to Philemon. I think we have this value of it being a real situation. And Paul's going to lay some groundwork for us. I think Paul shows us five things about navigating relational conflict that we can apply to tons of relationships that we have today. So the first one is that navigating relational conflict and giving grace is a choice. So sometimes, if we're not experiencing that deep reconciliation that we want, it might be because we haven't yet chosen to give grace, to be a person who lives in the way of Jesus. But this choice is important. And like we read, Paul isn't going to force Philemon to make any decisions. He wants Philemon to make the choice himself. And this is a really important step in reconciliation because when we choose to even just start pursuing grace, we get to make this cool trade where we let go of the anger and the bitterness and the grudge we've been holding. And I've said before, holding grudges is like holding your breath. So it's not fun. And when we make this choice, we get to breathe again. And like we have said, Rome's narrative is get even at any cost. But the way of Jesus is different. And so this year, John has asked so many times, do you want to be well? 
And I'll add to that question, what do you want your relationships to look like? Do you want revenge or do you want reconciliation? And the way that you answer those questions is the choice you've made. Second thing for navigating conflict is that it's uncomfortable. This is not going to be particularly fun. I, for one, do not like conflict. I like to run away from conflict. Jesus calls us to approach it with honesty. And the hard work of grace is going to be uncomfortable. There are going to be times when it's uncomfortable and when it's not something that we want to do. We're going to want to do the opposite sometimes. I have wanted to do the opposite of grace. I have wanted someone to receive the punishment that I think they deserve. But grace is uncomfortable. It means I let go of that, and I get uncomfortable with being uncomfortable, and I do the hard work of extending grace. Third thing about navigating relational conflict is that it's changing. It's varying from person to person. Not all roads lead to full reconciliation. So I do not believe that we are called to invite openly unrepentant, toxic, harmful, and abusive and unsafe people back into our inner circles. You might have someone who has harmed you deeply and who you feel like this intense tinge of pain when you think of them. That's okay, because the work of grace with them might be way more of an internal game than an outward relational change. You have permission to navigate grace with Jesus in different ways with different situations. But one thing to know is that even with those harmful, painful people, we're still called to show grace. It's just going to look a little bit different. Romans 12.18 says, If it is possible on your part, live at peace with all people. Grab hands with Jesus and do the work that you can do. So fourth, we've got, um, fourth thing about navigating relational conflict um, is that it's practice. So if you've spent any time reading Paul, you know that he's an aggressive guy. And he had his fair share of tips with people. He fought with the Apostle Peter. Um, so Paul, he's had these incredible opportunities to like build up grace muscles, right? He's practicing grace. We're not going to wake up our first day of being a believer and be super good at grace. It's something that we're invited to try and try again, and when we fail, we try again. Um, so we're, we're invited to get good at the fruits of the Spirit as we get to know the Holy Spirit. Um, and God doesn't say, use my grace as an excuse to be rude or as an excuse to get revenge. It's an excuse to keep trying. And it's permission to know that it's not three strikes you're out, it's go for it. So fifth, and most importantly, reconciliation is life-giving. Paul ends his letter by saying, I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul's request is that Onesimus would experience grace, and that would refresh the hearts of everyone involved.
This is where hope is restored. It's on the fringes of undeserved grace and radical, habitual reconciliation. Grace has this restorative power that can transform people. If you know someone who's just like icky inside, they might not have been experiencing grace. We need grace. It brings us to life. And I've said this before, holding that grudge is holding breath. Reconciliation is breathing again. It's getting what you need. So if you're like me, you're going to experience conflict with the people that you love and people you barely know and the drivers on the road, like every day, every week, every hour, like if you're me. Um, And we've got this invitation, though, with the conflict that we are definitely going to experience. We can go with Rome, we can go with the world and be people of revenge and retribution, or we can like shoulder into the way of Jesus and be people of reconciliation, people of habitual, radical, undeserved grace. And I believe the world can tell the difference. The world knows the choice we've made. And I think if we choose to lean into the way of Jesus, our stories are going to be preserved the same way that Onesimus and Philemon and Paul's story has been preserved. So last year, I read a biography um, about Louis Zamperini. Is there anyone in this room who knows Louis Zamperini? Famous guy, awesome, so good. Um, Okay, so I read his biography, and he was this incredible man who, um, he had this talent for running, and he became an Olympic runner, and he was like crashing through all of these barriers and um, breaking records, and he was going to be the guy who broke the four-minute mile. And then he got drafted, and he had to serve um, during World War II, and he became a pilot, And on one of his flights over the ocean, they crashed. And Louis was shipwrecked for months, only to be captured by the enemy. So he was captured by the Japanese, and he was taken to a prisoner of war camp in Japan, where he was singled out and tortured and starved and beat. And he was stripped of his human dignity. And when the war was over and Louis came home, he found himself severely traumatized by the torture and abuse he'd experienced in those prisoner of war camps. And he descended into alcoholism, and he hurt his wife, and he hurt his children, and he was like experiencing violent attacks of trauma. And it stayed that way for so long until he met Jesus. And then there was this radical change. And in 1952, Louis was invited to carry a torch for the Olympics in Japan. And so Louis gets to go back to Japan, the land where he experienced all of this abuse. And probably like Philemon, he had to decide, where am I going to take my marching orders from? And Louis does something unexpected. He asks to visit the prison where uh, criminals of war were um, kept. And he asks to meet the men who were the guards of his camp. And he walks into the room, 
And the men who knew he were, they knew he was coming, they were in the back. And the colonel with him called them up. They stand up and they file up to, and they're standing and they're looking at Louis with these really small faces, just like, you know, they know. And Louis describes this experience where he just starts erupting with unbelievable joy um, and compassion. And he's got like tears streaming down his face. And before he knows what's happening, he's sprinting down the aisle with his arms wide open, embracing the people who abused him. And he says, I love you. I forgive you. Can I tell you about Jesus? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the gift of reconciliation. Thank you that uh, we have room to be clumsy and we have room to learn. Um, and thank you for even giving us the ability to choose love and grace. I pray that you would walk with us and that if there's anyone in here who feels particularly in pain uh, because of a relationship gone wrong, God, I pray that you'd bring peace and comfort to them. You are the reconciler of all things, God, and we trust you. And we want to walk in the way of your son who forgives and who extends habitual, undeserved, radical grace. God, we love you and we trust you. Amen.